Persia. Good morning, everyone. My name is Barbie, and I'm going to be doing my best to talk about some of God's word. But let's start off by praying this way. God, I bring all that I have prepared into this space, and Holy Spirit, I ask that you fill each one of us. This is my chapter. Um, we put our hands up to preach quite a while ago, and we were given sort of sections to look through and see if there was any any sort of chapter that we thought, or any passage we thought, oh, yes, that's my sermon. I'm going to preach on that. So I chose to put my hand up for this one a long time ago. Feels like a long time ago. And then when I was preparing for this. Um, I read through it and I thought, oh man, I better choose that. <laughs> but I know, thank you, I know that when I put my hands up to preach something, it's because I need to hear what it is I've got to preach on. Um, so I spent a bit of time saying to God, this is so kind of basic. What, what is it that you want to say to me? And I think if I bring it over, I'll be more. <laughs> okay, I've got it. Right, so I'm preaching to myself. As well as to you. So I'll start by reading. <coughs> Brothers, if someone is caught falling into sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. So it seems pretty straightforward. Yep, John, not one of those judgy people who judges other people. Um, yep, carry each other's burdens, fine, fine. Um, but there's more to it. So um, I have been doing a series of Enneagram talks, which is basically looking at our hidden motivations. And one of the things that I've done several times to start off, and we're going to do it today, is I want you to think of a person that you really dislike. Close your eyes, have a moment. Who really gets on your nerves? Imagine if you had a sheet of paper and you could write down all the things about them that really annoy you. You thinking? Have you got that person in mind? Now imagine writing your name at the top of that piece of paper. Because in biological terms, the thick person that really annoys you is your hidden self, it's your shadow. In analytical terms, the shadow, don't worry about the other psychological term, is the unconscious aspect of the personality that doesn't correspond with the ego ideal, who I think I am, who I want to be leading my ego to say, that's not me, I'm not that, it's them. They are like that. So whenever someone is going them, it's me, really. 
and Carl Jung said it like this, unless you learn to face your own shadows, you will con continue to see them in others because the world outside you is only a reflection of the world inside us. Now, I studied psychology and um, at the time I, was a, I had a fantastic mentor, she was my counsellor, and I said to her, you know, we're looking at all these funny theories on how do I know, how, how do I judge what we're being taught? And she said, all truth is God's truth. If it is true, it is from God. And so you, you measure up all of these theories, all of these things you're learning, you look at them in the light of scripture. Does it tie up with scripture? If it doesn't tie up with scripture, you don't accept it. If it, if it ties up with what scripture is saying, then you can go, okay. So some people are freaked out by Jung, but he did get some glimpses of the truth. So if you look at the verse underneath, there's a Jesus thing. Now, also with Jesus, I think we can be quite some quite judgmental of Jesus. We see oh, he's a sort of a hippie dude in a dress with the long hair and sandals, and you know, he was a bit naive and he didn't really. But actually, we need to really change how we think about Christ. Think about Albert Einstein on steroids. Think about the smartest man, the wisest person who ever lived. That's Jesus. So when he's saying something, there's profound depth in it. And we get sort of familiar with him and we Everybody goes, yeah, 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 okay, okay. Um, but if Jesus says something, look deep because there are layers and layers of meaning. So way, way before these other psychologists, he knew all about the shadow and how we project onto others. When we judge somebody, it's our own stuff. And that's what he's saying here in Matthew. Don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the way you judge others, you will be judged because you are hiding that own thing in yourself. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me, let me help you. Do you have a problem with this? Or you are the problem. Well, all the time, there's a plank in your own eye. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Um, so Jesus, the seeming simple man, the smartest man who ever lived, this woman was brought before him by people who wanted A, to trap him, and B, to say, look at this wicked, simple woman. So Jesus was like, hmm, okay. And he knocked on and he started scratching in the dirt. And then he said, okay, which of you? Who of you? Okay, okay, you want to stone her because she's committed adultery? The person who hasn't done, you can pick up the first stone, go for it. I'm scratching on the, on the dirt. And it says the oldest people slunk away first. The people who've lived the longest and are like, mm, actually, you know, maybe I, I was looking at the hot chick next door. Why am I so hysterical about her? Mm. What's going on in my own heart? And they left because when we really think, when we are honest about what's going on in ourselves, the things that really annoy us and other people, that's our stuff. And um, so it looks like I'm not really talking about the little passage I got given, but there, I, I kind of am. So when we're bothered by other people's speck of sawdust, it's an indicator that we need to deal with something. So our passage starts off by saying, brothers, if someone is caught into sin, and the meaning of the word of 
quote is, suddenly trips and falls into sin, is overtaken by or surprised by sin in a weak moment. This is someone who's, who's really trying and they fell, they sinned like all of us do. Um, that's the kind of person they're talking about, this passage is talking about. It's not talking about someone who's going, yeah, I know what God wants, I'm not going to do it. I am going my own way, I'm doing what I want. It's not addressing those people. This is talking about someone who struggles, someone who says, I feel really bad, but I did this thing, I keep doing this thing, can you help me? And the next term that it's talking, so if someone suddenly falls into sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. And restore, in this sense of the word, means to mend like a net. You're fixing something that is broken, or you're, or you're setting a broken arm. Something is damaged that is, is not the way it should be. That's the kind of help that we are supposed to get. That's the kind of help this passage is talking about. So we, we help as kindly and as carefully as possible. And the reason why I talked about the shadow and the judgment stuff first is because we need to deal with our own stuff, realize our own sinfulness before we are actually in a space to be kind and gentle and help someone else and say, yeah, me too, I understand. The struggles that you're struggling with, I struggle too. That's when we can be a, a kind helper, a kind restorer. Then it goes on to say, carry each other's burdens. And it's talking about heavy burdens, difficult situations, and in this way you will fill, fulfill the law of Christ. Um, so it's like picture people moving furniture. That's the kind of picture that's used. It's, it's a heavy load that one person just can't manage on their own. So how do we do that? How do we help people with their heavy burdens? What kind of heavy burdens? So it can be real practical help. Um, Providing and caring for children, caring for parents, helping someone who's lost a job, helping people after a natural disaster, looking after sick people. You know, there's all sorts of ways that we can help. Real practical, physical ways of helping. And um, I, I read a lot of Psychology Today articles, and I read an interesting article. It's talking about um, post-traumatic stress disorder, and it was saying, if you are in a, say, an accident, the, the length of time before you are helped has an exponential effect on how traumatized you are by what happened. Um, so not so long ago, I crashed the corner of our car into our curb and popped the wheel. The boys were with me, and <clears throat> I know how to change a tire, but man, do you think I'm strong enough to get the, I know the theory, but actually doing it takes me so long, and my hands are not that strong. Sam was right there, I was like, okay, I can do this. And he did it. I didn't have to do a thing. And I was so thankful. He was right there. He did it. And I was traumatized. You know, I was shaking. I was stressed. You know, that I was in shock from having done it. I think we were all a bit in shock. Um, but he was right there and he sorted it out for me and then we sorted the tire up really quickly. So it's a nasty experience, but I'm fine. But say in a car accident and I called someone to help and they said, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. And they came an hour later. I've been waiting there for an hour, or they said, I'm sorry, I'm really busy, I can't come. Then I'm there by myself. Or there's no one to call, something terrible has happened, but there's no one I can call to come and help me. Then the trauma that that person experiences is magnified by that. So don't underestimate the power of helping, carrying that heavy burden, helping someone with their car, helping someone with their garden, 
forward carrying the burden. That's what we need to do. So that's real practical stuff, which has a profound emotional effect as well. It really helps us. But there's also um, psychological and emotional ways that we help people. Giving space for someone who's lost someone to talk. Listening. Now listening, we were just chatting to someone this morning actually, before we came, uh, a call with someone in England, who has just finished a year course in listening. He had been trained for a year in how to listen. And as a counsellor, it's one of the things that you get really drummed into, and it's a, it's a tricky skill, it's a, it's a difficult skill to learn, but often when we listen, we're waiting to fix it. We always just stop talking so I can tell you the answer, or tell you my story, rather than saying, here I am. My soul is really listening. What is it that you want to say? I'm giving you my full attention, and I love you, and I and that is like a sacred listening. That that is and often in a counseling relationship, that is what the person needs. They need to be really heard because underneath they have a lot of wisdom. But they need that space to be heard. So again, listening is a fabulous, fabulous, difficult skill. But if, if you are able to give someone the gift of really paying attention to them, it's such a blessing. There's lots, so there's lots of things that we can do to help. But, see the psychological side here, there's a very fine line between helpful care, particularly emotional care, and codependent care. This is a tough one. In sociology, codependency is a theory that attempts to explain imbalanced relationships, where one person enables another person's self-destructive behavior, such as addictions, immaturity, irresponsibility, or underachievement. Mm. Codependent care stops other people from experiencing the consequences of their unwise behavior. Therefore, it encourages them to carry on doing it. Because they get the pleasure without the consequences. So if you get drunk and your mates look after you and carry you home, and it's really kind of them. But maybe if you woke up in the ditch or on the street, maybe next time there was a party you'd go, hmm, gosh, that was really not a great experience. Perhaps I won't do that again. And it looks so unloving. It looks very unloving to let someone experience the consequences of what they're choosing. I knew a lady years ago, and uh, she came from an alcoholic family, and she and her husband didn't drink, but their son became an alcoholic. And um, they would bail him out and bail him out. Hi, mom and dad, you know, we really need some money. I crashed the car. Can I go work? Can I need a loan? Because I've lost my job. And, and he looked after him and they bailed him out time and time and time again. And meanwhile, and he was, he was, I guess, in his 30s by then. And he knew that they would fix it, that he was using their money, you know, that they would make it back. And they were going for counseling themselves. And the time came, huge respect to this lady, where this on the phone and said, 
I'm down. I'm in jail in another city. I've got no money. I really need you to come and bail me out. And they said, of course, Sean, you know, we were really sad to hear that. That's, that's horrible. That's really tough. Let us know how you manage it. Now, I had massive respect for them because I didn't know that I had the courage to do that, but they did it. And he was left. No one's going to bail me out. No one's going to come fix it. I can't keep my mom and dad saving me anymore. And he eventually got out of jail after I don't know what he had to do. He got out of jail and he sobered up and he started his own little woodworking business. They no longer took the consequences of his behavior. It was on him. Now, it could have gone either way. It could have, I'm not saying that it's going to work every time because <laughs> chances are maybe it won't. But if they hadn't said, no, we're not fixing this mess anymore. It's your mess. You deal with it. Let us know how you get on. Maybe he would have drunk himself to death. And it's not, I'm, it's not, I'm talking like really harshly, but I grew up in an alcoholic family where uh, my mother worked and my father drank more and more. And eventually in my teens, he wasn't working anymore. She was supporting the family. And I stayed at home till I was 25 because I so didn't want to leave my mother with my drunken father. I was so wanting to be there for her. And then I went for counseling and my counselor said to me, it's like your, your family your family system is a boat. And there's one person jumping up and down trying to tip up the boat and everyone else is balancing the boat and making a plan. And she said to me, perhaps you need to jump out and swim to shore. Mm. What if the boat capsizes? Maybe it needs to capsize. Maybe everyone needs to end up in the water. Maybe everyone needs to swim to shore. So I moved out of home. I didn't have a driver's license and I was living where there was no decent public transport. I moved in with my very gracious counselor who took me for driving lessons. She parented me actually. She provided a lot of the care that I had not received because the family system was so focused on survival and coping rather than alcoholic behavior. Um, so when I'm talking to you, I'm talking to myself about this. So I, I think the thing that I found, find really difficult still is parenting. Because I was neglected as a child, I, don't, I so don't want to neglect my own children. So I do too much for them. I, I swung the other way. And thanks be to God for their lovely father, shout out to fathers and their dad, he knows they're tougher than I think they are. I think the aim of, as a parent, when they, when you know, when they're two, you tie their shoelaces. When they're three or four, I can't remember the exact age. You say, "This is the bunny ear, and the thing goes around the loop, and you, and you show them how to do it, and they do it badly, and then they go, oh, no, bunny." And then eventually, by the time they're five or six, when they're at school, they can tie their laces. Or if you've tied their laces, like some of the kids at the boys' school. Oh gosh, we better buy our kids sports shoes with Velcro on. <laughs> you laugh, you laugh, it happens. Because they can't tie their shoelaces. Because mummy always tied their shoelaces. Now this is me. You know the finger pointing? I'm talking to myself here. As a parent, we so want to nurture them. And they need everything when they're little. But the aim of parenting is to grow them up to maturity. We don't want to be tying our 18 year old shoelaces. We don't want to be getting them out of bed and reminding them about their homework and reminding them of their appointments. 
they need to grow up such that they can do those things for themselves. So when you do too much for people, let's have another read of that codependent thing which connected me a lot. When one person enables another person's self-destructive behavior, such as, you don't, we don't tend to think of self-destructive behavior. We don't think of immaturity as self-destructive behavior, but it can be. Irresponsibility or underachievement. Our children don't thank us for it because they are gonna feel the consequences sometime in life. Maybe they will be that person in jail cell going, Mom, can you come and get me out? Because you've always looked after me and done it for me and I never learned how to do it for myself. Or I can't keep a job because I can't get up out of bed on time. I can't finish my university degree because no one's telling me what to do. Each of us has to take responsibility for our own lives. And we so don't want our children to suffer and you think we're sheltering them by doing too much for them. And I do apologize, guys, because I, I do want to do too much for you. And thank you for your dad. But the consequences are high, and they get higher the longer that carries on. God bless you, honey. <laughs> some other people over last night with the young one and some other people older kids and we looked at the other we're like I'm so thankful we don't have to carry six bags around with us anymore nappies and all of that stuff um, so looking back at our passage if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself each one should test his own actions then he can take pride <coughs> in himself without comparing yourself to somebody else confidence for myself I can look after myself, I can do this thing. It's not about what you're doing. I'm not comparing myself to you. I am trying to do what I need to do. For each one should carry his own soldier's pack or personal responsibilities. Hmm. So if you're a soldier, no one else is gonna carry your pack for you. <laughs> if you don't carry your bag with your, I don't know, your sleeping roll and your rations. And we tend to think, sometimes we think, we think Jesus is dumb, and we think, this, but this is Disneyland, we're living in Disney World. C.S. Lewis said, we are living in enemy-occupied territory. God is with us in enemy-occupied territory, but it's not Disney World. <laughs> and each one of us needs to carry our pack, bear our responsibility, step up, man up. Woman up. I love the message version of this. It says, make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. God has given us, each one of us, work, a task, a new task. Things that we only we can do. No one else is going to do them in your way. You don't do them in your way, they don't get done. Sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. I need to be responsible for my life and do my work. And if 
part of my responsibility is to help my children grow up to be responsible so that they can live their own lives. It's to do the work that God has given me to do, and I complain about it a lot sometimes. Each one of us has to engage with our own life to wake up and really live. The days can drift by, the years can drift by, and we don't do what it is that God has put for us to do. We live through our children, we live in the past, we live in the future rather than living in the now. What has God got me for me to do now? Who does God want me to help today? And what is it that I have to do today? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you help us with our burden. You comfort us and you carry us and you help us. Will you give us wisdom and courage as we help others? In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Bring all your failures.